1: Hey guys, we're really excited to announce that our live show in Boston with True Crime Obsessed is back on for July 31st, 2021. It was originally scheduled for March of 2020 and that didn't happen. So here we are.
2: Right. We all know how it went down when we were all together in Brooklyn, New York, way back in October of 2019. And then the world stopped. We were not able to get together with our friends at True Crime Obsessed, Jillian and Patrick. Also, Maggie Freeling will be joining us. We got the band back together at the Wilbur Theater. You can go to thewilbur.com for your tickets. And if you had purchased tickets to the previous show's current ticket holders because of the venue change, your tickets will be refunded and then you'll have exclusive advanced access to purchase tickets to the new show. You should have received two emails, one confirming the refund and one with the
1: link to purchase
2: the new tickets.
1: And of course, True Crime Obsessed covers true crime documentaries. And in this show, they cover the disappearance of Maura Murray oxygen documentary that Lance and I were a part of. See you at the Wilbur. Anchor is flat out the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your computer or even your phone. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started now. You are listening to Crawlspace on the Crawlspace Media Network. If you like this show, you'll love Missing, which is also hosted by us.
2: Missing started as Missing Maura Murray, and now it continues raising awareness for all missing people. And we also have an entire network of shows you'll love. Check them out at crawlspace media.com.
1: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Tim,
2: if I was any better, I would be our guest today. How are you?
1: I am doing well, Lance. Yes, and our guest, the very impressive Toby Kirschman of DNAinvestigations.com. We did a panel with her only last month in Saratoga Springs, New York. She is living out there now. She has got a really impressive history in DNA, in genetic genealogy. She's even helped with the Golden State Killer. And what a wonderful connection to make. What a wonderful
2: relationship to have. The panel that we did in Saratoga Springs, big shout out to those over there at Saratoga Living. They're the ones that planned the event that took place at Putnam Place. Hopefully we can get back there again and have another panel, maybe even get Toby back up there. But uh, if you're interested in what she does, go to DNA Investigations. And the mission of DNA Investigations is to bring genetic genealogy services to local law enforcement and members of the community, which is a really bold and sort of audacious type mission to have. I mean, she is... Going in there and saying, This is something that'll work, and you kind of need to reassess the previous way in which you've done business.
1: Yeah, and it's a really interesting conversation we have learning more about the whole process and how civilians can even work and help law enforcement, which, you know, is something that's always interesting to us, Lance. Sure is. Okay, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Toby Kirschman. And before we play the interview, we just want to remind you about our upcoming show at the Wilbur on July 31st, two thousand. One, We are going to be there at the Wilbur Theater in Boston with True Crime Obsessed. Of course, that's Patrick Hines and Jillian Pensavale and Maggie Freeling of Unjust and Unsolved and Murder and Alliance, Lance. And we're all going to be on stage talking about the Oxygen documentary, The Disappearance of Maura Murray. So
2: whoever wants tickets to see us there, make sure to go to The Wilbur. That's T-H-E-W-I-L-B-U-R dot com. And you just have to scroll down like just a little bit. I think we're like the third show there to purchase tickets. That is Saturday, July 31st, 7 p.m. And you don't want to miss it at the historic Wilbur Theater in Boston, thewilbur.com.
1: Okay, we'll see you there, everybody. Hope you enjoy this interview with Toby Kirschman. Make sure to follow us on social media. And check out the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.
2: And why don't you swing on over to our website at crawlspace-media.com and check out all the other shows that we represent over there and the new stuff coming up as well as the back catalog of quality programs.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Toby Kirschman. How are you today?
0: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank, thank you for joining us.
2: Um, before we get into our topic of the day, uh, how fun was Saratoga Springs? Did you enjoy it? It was amazing. I think yeah. the combination of being on that panel with with all of you was truly humbling. And we learned so much. Couple that with... Oh my goodness! I'm looking at people's full faces in a crowd and everyone is just hanging out. It was yeah. so awesome.
0: Yeah, I know it's been a while, right for everybody. yeah, it was great. I hope you guys come back i have some I have some work ideas for you.
1: Ooh, ooh, I'd love to hear about those. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we will definitely definitely be back definitely uh up for more collaboration
2: uh okay, with you
1: and in Saratoga Springs. Yeah, we love that area.
0: Oh, good, yeah, it's beautiful here, so pretty
1: please tell us about your background. You are in DNA and I want to know more about that.
0: So it starts back in California. I was originally from California, Um, New York girl. Now I worked for the DNA laboratory for the state of California for about 10 years. And in 2017, we decided to move out here to New York. My, my husband and I, he's from New York. And um, I was doing, I was a criminalist for the state of California um, for that 10 years. And then I just, I decided to come out here for better weather, better life. You know, you can afford a home, stuff like that. And um, I wasn't sure when I got here, whether I was going to do forensics or not um but I thought oh I could teach um there's a lot of stuff that I could do you know I'm just going to go for it um and so when I came out here um I worked for a little bit about a year and a half at the forensic investigation center and and that was um that's down in Albany and that's affiliated with the New York State Police so I did that for a little bit and then um they were um they started to get interested in doing genetic genealogy, which is what I'm interested in doing. Um, there were there, like, I took a class and the, and the director was in the same class. And one of the supervisors was in that class on, you know, learning how to do genetic genealogy. And um, then COVID hit and everybody went home. We were all working from home and that program never got up and running again. So I I started DNA investigations, and I am hell bent on getting some law enforcement agencies to try this in their own hands and solve some cases. So that's that's my spiel.
2: That's uh, that's fantastic, and that is a um, quite an undertaking with uh, the work you're doing at DNA investigations. Um, and I probably should know the answer to this. You said you're you're a criminalist. How is that different than a cr- criminologist or uh, oh, right. I, I, what? Yeah, I think I'm, yeah. I'm just my brain doesn't uh, compute something. No,
0: like I know that. Yeah, it probably should be standardized just so people understood it better. But um, in California, forensic scientists are called criminalists. And then if you do criminology, that's like the study of um, crime So that's more like a a sociological and a psychological approach to learning about crime and why people do it or like demographics and stuff. And then a criminalist is the scientist that performs the work of the the analysis. So they could do like, you know, work on blood or, um, you know, toxicology, firearms. Wow. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. How did you get involved in it?
0: Um, so I had, okay, so I was doing biotechnology and I had a friend, um, who was doing forensics and I said, oh my gosh, biotechnology is kind of boring. You know, I just, it's not like really cool. And, um, she said, you should try, why don't you try forensics? And, um, she said, you probably will like it better. There's a little bit more, you can care about the victim a little bit more. Yeah. So I gave that a try and it's definitely true. So I, I switched over from hard science to forensics.
1: And how is that true that you, you end up caring about the victim more?
0: Oh, well, um, you know, you can see what kinds of crime is happening around you. Um, and if you're a forensic scientist, you know that you can be part of solving it. Just, you know, figuring out the, uh, you know, the, the yes from the no, um, you know, putting the pieces in place and doing it well. There, you know, there's a lot of job satisfaction. Um, it's just, it's just another public service, you know. So, if you're big on that, forensics is is a satisfying job.
2: And you said that you hail from California, correct?
0: Yes. Yep.
2: And you have a, a bit of a background there with a certain uh, serial killer in California, correct? I
0: do. Yeah. Do tell. And any anyone in law enforcement from the past four decades? Does
1: <laughs> right, yeah. right, because that case, the obviously the Golden State Killer, that case spanned so many different labs. Is that why?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And you worked in the state lab, so you've dealt with a lot of different uh...
0: agencies. Yeah, yeah. And we, everyone was so um, frustrated and they started to get a clue. He was originally called the East Area Rapist, and that was where he started off. Um, and that was in the Sacramento area. Um, And then he kind of got all these other names when his his crimes started to link to each other. You know, like um, the Santa Barbara area was starting to match. And, um, you know, some things even from L.A. The whole state was after him after a while.
2: What do you think that does to somebody's ego as him to know, like how many people at this point he knows how many people and how many uh, agencies, how many members of law enforcement of the public? I mean, because of what, he, because of his uh, reign of of murder, yeah. All of these advancements have been made with uh, geotargeting and and DNA profiling. And mm-hmm. do you think that anything like? Do you think that 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 gives him an inflation of ego? I do. Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, I I bet he probably felt pretty slick
2: yeah I mean because you're getting away with it for so long it's it's almost like he saw I and I don't want to sound like callous but it's almost as if he could you could think that he would think that he saw it as some sort of accomplishment even though he oh was yeah
0: oh absolutely yeah
2: yeah crazy yeah
0: I know and there were so many people that tried different things I mean I mean it was really frustrating so he must have loved that like um California was one of the earlier adopters of the arrestee provision, um, which is just when there is a felony arrest. You know, the DNA is taken, and that was to find him. Like that was a you know um, the politician that really put that proposition on the, the map um, was a guy named Harrington, and he he funded that whole proposition. He was from Orange County, I think. And he's like, we have to get, and, and he was the one he had, um, I think it was his niece was a victim. So he was, you know, privately driven to make sure that, you know, <laughs> we had every like resource that we needed, you know, to try to, you know, just cast a wide net and, and not have any missing spots where people could get away. So, I mean, the arrestee provision was started in California because of him, basically.
2: Impressive. Yeah.
1: And was that sort of a conscious thing trying to get this person who had been involved in so many of these crimes? It was sort of known that a lot of them were the same person at that point?
0: Yep. Yeah. And and the more that the cases were connecting, the more frustrated we got. We even started another program, too, Uh, One of the theories is that he had passed away while in prison. So we um, started a program where we collected, um, you know, DNA from prisons or um, the coroners sometimes would keep a sample. Um, You know, we just would do all these crazy things to, you know, get as much DNA that was lawfully owed as we could. And um, we solved a lot of cases, right? The arrestee provision and the, um, it was the deceased DNA, Data bank program i mean that was like we could solve a lot of crimes but not the one that we were trying to
2: what's what's that feel like how does it i mean well tim and i obviously know because we're we're professionals in the law law enforcement uh, piece of
1: cake we solve <laughs> cases every day i mean
2: I, I solve cases for breakfast well what what does it what does it feel like though when you put all of this work and research and energy into collecting this data to uh identify somebody and then you get the answer how does that feel
0: well are you, are you talking about succeeding or failing?
2: Now let's start with succeeding.
0: <laughs> okay. The succeeding part was was like really really awesome. I mean, but it was also a um, a gut punch for all of the standard law enforcement because it was not solved through our traditional route at the at the DNA laboratory we tried to solve this case and didn't, it was the the detectives at um, Sacramento County DA's office that did the genetic genealogy and found him. And so, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There are these absolutely two different camps. One of them worked and one of them didn't. Um, and that's what drove me so hard. Like like nobody should be um, putting a lot of energy into this old kind of like way of, you know, solving DNA crimes or or they should, they should keep it up, but we should be absolutely doing the new stuff like as much as we can.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. And what does that entail? Because you had one experience in California and I imagine a much different one so far in, in New York, because uh, I would, I would imagine they're all different, right?
0: Yeah. So It hasn't really started here in New York, this newer kind of of DNA. Um, I just, I'll call it genetic genealogy. Um, And it's, um, instead of using the the traditional law enforcement DNA analysis, sequencing is used. And so the DNA from a case like evidence would have to be sent um, to a new laboratory, not like an old fashioned state run lab. Um, but some of the, some of the state labs and some of the law enforcement laboratories are, they're, they're all panicking right now and they're getting their equipment all up and running. But, um, so evidence nowadays gets sent for, um, this new sequencing, right? And when you get that data, you can look at DNA matches, just like in ancestry, just like in 23andMe, right? A lot of people are familiar with that nowadays. And so, um. If you use that methodology of looking for DNA matches, you can find the cousins of a killer or or your crime scene, whatever your crime scene DNA is. And when you have the cousins and and you map family trees, you can work back around kind of like reverse engineer and identify the identity of the person that left that sample at the crime scene. And so that's, that's what I'm pushing everyone here to give it a try, you know, with their cold cases, like with that Sheila Shepard case, um, that's going to be a really good, good thing for them to try too, you know, so it's really promising, really exciting.
2: You said that state labs were panicking. Um, What is causing them to panic? The fact that everything is moving in a certain direction and they need to catch up?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, it's nobody's fault. But the reason that all of the sudden, they're handed this investigative tool, and they're they're handed it, and they're so far behind, is because of all the people who have been buying Ancestry DNA kits, and all those kits. So people that have been putting their money into those businesses, those companies have just turned around and, and like, they're Sequencing has just been—it's been improving, and the technology is just vast. I mean, right? Even in your time, sequencing the human genome—I mean, when it first started, right? It was like two hundred thousand. No, it was a million. I don't know. It was like a lot of money. Nobody could do it. And now, if you hit it—if you hit a weekend sale, you can get an ancestry or another kit for like forty-nine bucks. You can have your own genome sequenced for forty-nine bucks. I mean, it's not the entire genome. But um, so that's how fast it is. Now, like everybody can do it. Everybody can, you know, can do this, right? So all of a sudden this, the, the um, police laboratories and the, the law enforcement laboratories, they've been doing this old system and all of a sudden they can fight crimes and solve the cases using DNA, but it's this rapidly advanced sequencing system that you know, research laboratories and academic laboratories, and, and they've had like years of experience with this. Um, and so now the um, law enforcement laboratories are kind of like, wow, oh my gosh, we have to get this up and running immediately, like yesterday, because a lot of law enforcement agencies rely on like a bigger place, a bigger laboratory to send their samples. So that's the panic is that the labs are like, oh my gosh, we got to do this quickly.
1: Right. It's a lot of work um, trying to make everything sort of electronic, I'm sure. And how does that even work, right? So if there's, you know, DNA from a killer in a 40-year-old um, case, how does that get to a computer and then sort of run? I, I assume it would be run against uh, the CODIS database before it would be taken out to a, a different database, right?
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, so the best way that genetic genealogy works is to have a sample in CODIS already through this kind of more you know traditional DNA analysis. So if you have like a 40 year old case and um, there was like a bloody knife or whatever, and you have um, suspect DNA uploaded to CODIS, you, you have to start from scratch, take DNA start all over again um, and develop a, a SNP profile. You can't use any, unfortunately it's so new, you have to start with the with the source material again. Um, you could start with a DNA extract if, if that was left over from the very first time you know the bloody you know knife was processed or whatever, that would work. But you really have to start with the bare DNA cells again. So um, so you get a sample up into CODIS and that's awesome. Then if there's no hit in CODIS, you take those DNA cells from whatever this, the evidence was like blood and you develop a SNP profile. You send it to, to one of these companies, just like Ancestry, but not, um, You know, a, you know, there's a few companies out there now are ready to handle law enforcement samples. They're Um, ISO uh, 17025 certified, and they're, you know, they have, you know, qualified analysts, blah, 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 they're ready, they're ready to take law enforcement samples, and they process them and get, um, get this new DNA kind of profile ready, they will upload that here in the state of New York, it's important that they upload that raw DNA right into these new databases that you were mentioning, and so instead of CODIS, these new ones are called uh, GEDmatch, FT-DNA, Family Tree DNA. And there's a new one called DNA Solves as well through Othram. I know you guys like Othram. David Millman, he's the best. Um, but yeah, so um, so it, it goes into, into kind of like this new route or like, you know, everything is still, we're just really piecing it together. It's it's still not not really awesome and, you know proven and just everything. But, um, you know, all the law enforcement agency needs to do is see the matches. So the investigator is sitting there. They have a 40-year-old cold case. There was a sample in CODIS, but it didn't hit. And now they log in to Family Tree DNA and they look for cousins. When they see those cousins, that's when I step in um, to help them. And I'm gonna be doing law enforcement training um, up, you know, coming up here. So um, my goal is to teach um, any law enforcement agents that want to, to learn this, to take those cousins and like kind of reverse engineer the trees to pull down some suspects. And then you have leads, you have new leads to follow for your case.
2: And so that is what the mission of DNA investigations is. So that's where, that's where, when you say that's where I come in, you're speaking of, yeah, the uh, DNA investigations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's where I come in. Um, I feel, I feel really strongly about um, I feel like detectives and investigators deserve to solve their own crimes, you know, that they've been working on they've been working on one option if they wanted to you know, take advantage of genetic genealogy, they could send the DNA away um, and hire that same company to do the genetic genealogy. But sometimes your matches are so good that you don't even need to build a family tree. For example, if I told you that, um, if, you, if you like open up the screen and you take a look and I say, hey detective, you have a sibling match. You wouldn't really even need to build a family tree for that, right? You would just immediately start asking the question, who's, how many brothers and sisters does this person have? And which of them fit the description of the suspect if there is one, right? So some of them are really, really awesome. And so I believe that the the law enforcement agencies should be they should have the glory of those really awesome, easy ones. And if you, if you hire a company to do that for you, they will do maybe 10 hours of work. And if it's really hard, they'll send it back. They'll send, you know, they'll, they'll do their 10 hours and then they'll send the case back and say, okay, good luck with this super hard one. So yeah, I think the law enforcement agencies should learn how to do this.
2: Yeah. And you said that uh, you were hellbent on getting law enforcement to adopt this. Um, Yeah. What what are some of your tactics?
0: Yeah. So I heard the retired um, Saratoga Springs police chief the other day giving a brown bag seminar on a book that he wrote about, um, gangsters like a hundred years ago in Saratoga Springs, like with the casinos and stuff, there was kind of a big, a big, um, underground presence. And he had done just all this research on that. So, um, he was so personable and he was retired and I was like, Oh, I need someone just like that to, um, step in and see if, if he can help me. I'm like, I need this guy to help me. So I met with him the other day and he said, um, you need to get in front of law enforcement agencies and do some training. Um, so he is going to help me do a pilot run, and it, we're, it's going to be free. And we're just going to we're going to feel it out. Um, you know, we're going to see like you know how many people because um, it is hard. It's hard work to do genetic genealogy. So not every detective um, or you know crime analyst is, is going to be interested, but I do believe a lot of them will, because sometimes people are really, like they have a drive to solve a case. So it's interesting to see, you know, how far their minds will, they'll push themselves. I just want to give them that chance. So that'll be, that's my first tactic anyway.
2: Is there any concern that it won't be adapted because it's adding an element of work, like an like a, a like another element where um, they have to, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it. yeah. Now they have to fund it and they mm-hmm. have to hire people like train people.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, that is a hurdle. And so, um, we, I mean, I'm going to pitch it. Like we all, uh, we all have to deal with this hurdle, right? Like every what one or two years, you have to get a new cell phone. Right. And right. it's always uncomfortable a little bit. Cause you're like, Oh, I just feel like I got to learn my last one. And then you have to like Google how to do something because you don't know how to turn it off or like whatever, right? Um, sorry, this is, this is how it is. And the funny thing is that in the, in the most expensive way, genetic genealogy isn't necessarily, I mean, like, like the, a super expensive case would be 10 grand. And you have to weigh that against the price that, of keeping a cold case open.
2: Right. Okay, so there's a good, um, you know, one plus one is two type thing. Like, I wonder how how much it costs to track down uh, Joseph D'Angelo if this was, you know, if this was back then. Like, I mean, that's what was that? Forty something years of an an investigation. And and Sheila Shepard, like you just have these cases that are out there. What what kind of what kind of uh, resources are going into those cases when you can start checking them off the list a little bit sooner i wonder what the breakdown is financially there
0: yeah I, i think it's um there are some agencies that are collecting and keeping data too for cost effective for um return on investment roi studies you know so that's good that'll help but the other thing is that there's a lot of grants there are federal grants um like, you know, given through the BJA um, Bureau of Justice Administration or something like that, right? And um, there are so many grants that there's grants for prosecution, there's cold case, there's exoneration. I mean, the federal government is, it's broadband. They're like, please use genetic genealogy. You know, they've already issued their statement. They have a, um, like a eight page document out that they put out in 2019, like the rules and regulations. So, they're all for it. And it's just, you have to think of it differently. You have to start paying for it differently. You got to just do it. One of those things.
1: Yeah. You got to just rip the bandaid off, right. And get started, but it's, it's a long, tedious task. And how can, how can we help? Or how can, um, you know, our listeners or civilians help?
0: So call calls and emails are, are always good. Like, you know, voicing, voicing, you know, support. Um, that's, so education is the problem right now. A lot of the law enforcement agencies that I talked to right when I was deciding on whether or not to do this company, um, you know, some of them had heard of it. Some of them hadn't heard of it. Uh, Some of them had heard of the golden state killer case. Some of them hadn't. Um, and so I don't think that they know that this exists. A lot of them. So. Definitely. That's my biggest hurdle right now is getting the word out there. And I think they're going to be surprised that once they learn that it's, that it's here to stay, they're also going to be surprised that it's not run by their, but like the same as their other DNA system through a state lab, through CODIS, the federal government, they, they're gonna be surprised that they're the ones that will control how fast it goes and that they can step in and solve it themselves if they want or pay someone else to do it. You know, I think that they're gonna be surprised when they learn all of this, but so it's just new. So, so my biggest hurdle is you know, getting the education out, getting the word out um, and just so that they can, we can, so that we can stop the ignorance clock a little bit and be like, you know, this is going to land in your lap sooner or later. You just got to pick. Is it going to be sooner or is it going to be later?
2: Right. And is this part of the training that you uh, perform? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. With the training, I would like them to know that this is out there and it's not going to go away. Um, I, I kind of, you know, one analogy I use is like the cassette tape, you know, going to the, the CD player, you know, going to the MP3 Like it doesn't make any sense to, to ever go back, you know, in a museum way, that's kind of cool. If you, you know, keep an example of some of these things around, but um, there, there is no, okay. So when you do, when you do STRs in the CODIS fashion, you get, you know, like a couple dozen, you know, less than 25 pieces of information on an individual. And that's what you're comparing When you do um, a SNP analysis, there's, um, you know, somewhere around a million. I think, you know, an average would be like 700,000, you know, pieces of information about someone's identity. And so those two things aren't really comparable. You know, like we can, you can really nail down who someone is and there's no question.
2: Do you get a lot of like, aha moments when you do the training uh, from law enforcement once they realize those, those numbers?
0: You know, so our first pilot run is going to be in August. Okay. So I hope, but you know, in with the few, with the few law enforcement individuals that I've spoken with on the phone. Yes. But it's almost like a really embarrassed, like, oh no, like shocked. uh Aha like a, like I can't, my brain can't even wrap my mind around what you're saying. Kind of an aha, you know, like, like I think they're pretty freaked out.
2: But I guess it's a good thing because they're listening to
1: you.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's like that hurdle though. I think trying to, um, get everyone to understand. I know for me, things take like repetition to really kind of sink in until I feel like I understand what, what uh, is going on. And, I wonder if that's (laughs) the same um, with, with a lot of law law enforcement agencies, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I do believe that's true. Definitely. Yeah. Especially when it's a a complex topic that involves science and money and, um, you know, in the end also their, their job performance is super different. They'll have to learn genetic genealogy and then they'll have to decide when they find like actually who did this thing, you know, they'll have to ask themselves, do I, do I wanna collect a, a surreptitious DNA sample? Or do I wanna confront the individual and say, would you be willing to give, you know, here's a DNA kit or whatever, you know, would you be willing to give a DNA sample, right? <laughs> um, which also works, I don't know, I don't know why it works, but people will do that so far. I think they're, they're like, oops, I, I just got caught, I might as well, yeah. So um, and then if they've passed away, the investigator will have to ask themselves, well, should we exhume the body and confirm it that way? So a lot of that's happening. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that happening lately. Oh, and there's a lot of exonerations that are happening, too, when we find out, like, the exact, you know, name and identity of the person and someone else is doing time for them.
2: And have you been directly involved in those exonerations?
0: Um, no, nothing like that yet. I hope, I mean, hopefully, but there, yeah, I mean, the, I think that the federal government has done an excellent job preparing because they already have grants out there for this. If you take a look at what there are grants for, you can get an idea for how serious an entity is about something. I mean, they, they they took a look at what, what, how this is going to affect um, law enforcement agencies, and they're backing it with money, which means which means that the the law enforcement agencies that they shouldn't they should embrace it, they shouldn't be scared of it. I mean, yeah, they might have you know they might have convicted someone that they shouldn't have, but um, better to find that out and and free someone than keep an innocent individual in jail.
1: Big thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Lance, it's summertime. The weather is better than usual up here in the Northeast. That's nice. The sunshine makes me happy. Being active, getting out there, that's great. But sometimes I still have those down days. What do you do when you're having a down day?
2: Yeah, Tim, you really nailed it there. It's so good to be outside. It's so good to be around people, nice weather. But you know, there are those days where you do still get down and try not to have... Those days affect your happiness. Try not to have those days prevent you from achieving your goals. You mentioned at the beginning of this our fine sponsor. We are sponsored by BetterHelp, and they are the people who can help you to get over
1: those humps. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient start communicating in under 24 hours. Lance, come on. This is great.
2: It's great. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. And you can send a message to your professional counselor at any time and you will get a timely and thoughtful response from your professional counselor. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. This is all done without ever having to sit in an
1: uncomfortable waiting room. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available.
2: This service is available for clients worldwide and there's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. No, but that range is so broad. I'm just going to rattle off some of... I'm just going to rattle off... Rattle. I'm just going to name some of the areas that these licensed professional counselors are specialized in. we got depression, stress, if you have anxiety, relationship matters, sleeping, trauma. Tim, nail a couple of these.
1: Anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, anything you share is confidential. Lance, it's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And we could go on and
2: on here, which we do, but don't take our long winded words for it. Go check
1: out the testimonials they post daily on their website. And it's not a crisis line. But, in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash How
2: could over 1 million people be wrong, Tim? Join them, the people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp.com. H-E-L-P dot com slash crawlspace.
1: Now, is there some competition in the world of databases, say, like, like, because I it seems odd to me and I'm not in this world, so I don't know. But, you know, as a civilian, if you get your DNA, you can upload it to this database and, and that database or, you, you know, you have to make sure you allow law enforcement to, um, you know, you have to opt in. Um, mm-hmm. with the check right. mark. So yeah. Is, is that, am I reading that correctly? Or are there different um, databases for the reason because people want to have the biggest one out there? And like, how, how is there a way to combine or just make a massive one?
0: Yeah. I'm not really sure about that. Um, I, I haven't talked to anyone at CODIS, but I would like to reach out and just see what they might be doing and different thoughts that they might have, because ostensibly if they hadn't been so blindsided um you know they they could have the answer to that like they could be supplying the the database for for law enforcement rather than GedMatch, family tree dna and dna solves you know so um i bet i bet they're thinking about this all the time talking about this all the time yeah and it's wild that um that we're using these, you know, public databases. It's 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 just very different than than we've ever done before.
2: And you also mentioned um, on your website that you uh, help people looking to solve family mysteries. What is that? Uh, what's that aspect of DNA investigations?
0: Yeah. So um, tomorrow, for example, um, I'm going to be talking to two individuals. One of them um, I have helped um, narrow down who his father might be and he was adopted. Um, so that was, um, I, I don't think I'm gonna have, I don't think I will actually find the, the name of his father because um, when you're working your way back down the family tree, if there are a couple of adoptions in a row, um, it's really hard to, to know, um, it's, it's hard to provide an answer um, for, for an individual. So, um, but I've got a lot of ideas and every, every day the database grows, like every day that I look at his matches, there's another like, you know, dozen or whatever every day. It's incredible. Um, so, um, it's just right now, it's just the results today. And I mean, If anyone has a family mystery, they should never say, oh, I'm done with this, you know, because it's just a matter of time. It's really crazy. Um, And then there's another woman that I'll be meeting tomorrow um, to talk about different questions in her family. Like there was a like some family lore about um, them being related to um, some royalty. And so she wanted to have that investigated and some different um, ethnicity
1: questions, too. Interesting. I call Lance Prince Lance.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say, is it? Uh, are, do they share the same uh, Sterna last name or?
0: <laughs> no. No. What's your story? What's your backstory, Prince? <laughs>
2: no, I'm not. I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a prince. I'm hardly. <gasps> uh, I'm. I'm. I'm a pauper.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we still call him Prince Lance, though. It's just a fun nickname.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> <Very good.
1: laughs> it's totally untrue. We've never called me that.
0: <laughs> so let me ask you guys a question: When did you first hear about genetic genealogy and like a different way of solving cases? Like, when did that first come out as a, come out of the woodworks for you guys?
1: Gee, I I mean, everyone talks about the Golden State Killer as the first time it's really yeah. become sort of mainstream, and I'm pretty sure that would be the first time we started talking about it um, consistently on our airwaves. Um, but Lance, is it was there any other? case before that that i that i'm not thinking of right now
2: that involved uh, dna or, or genealogy well, or both because yeah, i genealogy
1: mean, specifically and, gene- and yeah, i don't think so yeah
2: yeah i mean the first time hearing about dna period was uh the oj simpson case right um yeah. and and but that wasn't uh you know that wasn't genealogy yeah i think golden state killer was the one where i was like oh wow that's that's some impressive stuff like seeing how yeah. it's all the 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 path the the route that that all of the routes that needed to be taken to get to that one uh yep. destination was so impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the the case that really put it on the
2: map. Yeah. Um and so when uh how how like hectic was that during, for you during that time? What was there a lot of stuff like going in and out and and a lot of kind of hurry up and waiter or anything like that?
0: Um So when, when I left the laboratory, it was in 2017. And I would say that the mood was, oh my gosh, just hurry up and wait. Um, we were always hunting, you know, for that, always hoping it was like, you know, Oh, maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be it. Always, always, always. Right. And then, um, I think probably in the like late 2017, um, it probably went dark. I'm that's when I moved. Like right when I moved out to New York is probably when the um, the um, Sacramento investiga- investigators stopped, like you know, talking to the California library so much. So I was, I was the go, like the go-to person when I was the, out there in California. And, um, you know, when I moved out here to New York, I bet, I, I mean, I don't know this, but I bet that like, I would have seen the, um, the buzz, like just go dark, you know, stop. And what was happening was the, um, Kirk and Monica and, you know, teamed up with a couple of other people and Barbara Ray Venter, um, you know, the genetic genealogy, badass, um, and created that little five person team to do the genetic genealogy. And then they solved that case in four months, just them. And they were having like, oh my God, moments like left and right. And they, they didn't even know what they were doing because it was, you know, doing it for the first time really. And so, you know, they were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm guessing. Right. I mean, I've talked to Monica since then. She's a uh, Of my friend that works there, um, she's an investigative assistant for the, for the Sac County DA. And um, yeah, so um, I think that they were really quiet when they were doing all of this. And um, as soon as it, as soon as it came out and, you know, it opened up, I, all of my friends that were criminalists, the traditional way working at the laboratory, like, you know, through the CODIS unit, we were just all calling each other, emailing each other, you know, texting, just like what's going on, what's going on, how did this guy get caught? Because we didn't, he didn't get caught through us. He didn't get caught through CODIS. And so, you know, we were just like, what is going on? What is going on? You know, we just couldn't, couldn't believe it, couldn't understand it. And then, um, and they couldn't say anything. They had to wait, you know, be careful, you know, through his arrest and everything until it all came out. And then I was able to talk to my friend, Monica, that worked on the team and say, how, how did this happen? And she explained genetic genealogy to me. So, yeah, that was just, it was a gut punch for the entire state of California. So that's what I was trying to explain earlier at the beginning, when you asked me, it was um, you're so happy on, you know, on one side of the coin, but then you're crestfallen because everything that you've tried your whole life didn't work. I actually have some stats here. Um, you, I think, I, I don't know which one of you was bringing this up, like how much money, like the difference is, you know, and this is actually from um, the Golden State Killer case. Do you want me to throw some numbers out at you?
2: Yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Okay. So, um, you know, using traditional law enforcement and this information came from Steve Kramer, Um, who heads up the genetic genealogy for the FBI out of Los Angeles. And he was one of the uh, members, one of the five on the Golden State Killer team. So, um, you know, he compiled these numbers and um, in the old fashioned way, you know, detective work and sending, you know, collecting DNA and just sending it through CODIS. um, That case went on for about 43 cold case years. Um, It involved 15 separate law enforcement agencies. It employed 650 full and part-time detectives in all. There was, There's an estimate of about 200,000 man hours put in by law enforcement personnel f- from the state of California. Um, there's an estimate cost of about $10 million altogether for all the resources. Um, 8,000 subjects were considered Um, 300 individuals were surveyed and had swabs taken, um, from them, you know, to possibly be the suspect and zero was the amount of people that were found or leads that were developed, you know, out of all of that. And then when you look at the exact same thing on the, you know, using genetic genealogy, it cost about $217 to buy uh, the DNA kit. It included five people. Um, it took 63 days to find a suspect, which which is counting from the time the DNA um, went into um, the, the database and they found the matches. And they came down with just one suspect, One suspect was turned over, just one name. Not even like, here's a list of suspects. This project handed over one name. So all of that compared to all of those other numbers. And um, so, yeah.
2: It's impressive.
0: Yeah. You really can't argue with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at like the, the, the long, the big picture plan, like a long scope of the whole thing, you mentioned how many police officers were employed during that period of time and that's not going to get lost you know what i mean if if this if the dna if the genealogy is put into effect though, that's not going to get lost because crime just doesn't stop it's just you're now solving more of it and and so 600 and something Law enforcement officials don't have to be assigned to one particular case. Now you can split that up now they can be assigned to multiple cases now hopefully um these cases don't go cold so fast and and stay cold right. so long
0: yep, yeah
2: yeah so are yes. you um are you gonna be tackling the Sheila Shepard, the only unsolved murder in Saratoga Springs history?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd love to yeah, so I would love to you know have a conversation with the law enforcement. Um, in Saratoga Springs, and um, I'm hoping that they, um, you know, that they're open to learning about genetic genealogy. You know, the most important thing is that you find DNA. But um, you know, another another thing that you have to—I mean, it's it's overwhelming for for detectives and for law enforcement agencies because you have to know, for example, that now, like in 2020. You could, um, you know, do genetic genealogy on a hair, not just a like rootless hair. And it used to be that you had to have a root on a hair and then you could do DNA. So so law enforcement now is tasked with knowing what you know, what they can and can't do as far as 2021 is concerned. And then going back to the cold cases and rescanning per these new technologies. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a bit daunting, but you can't ignore it. Ignorance is not the right way out of this. So help is available, and it, it's going to take creative, th- you know, thinking. It's going to take creative funding, um, and it's going to take people. Uh, and this is—I know you guys butt up against this too all the time. And you know, it's going to take law enforcement agencies loosening up a little bit and relaxing you know and and kind of opening up to di- to new and different ways of doing things and you know and, and that's hard for them right but now is the time i think
2: yeah for sure and and i think it just like you said it's going to take some time and some some adapting has to happen but i mean the the history of law enforcement has been generations who are adapting you know it's, it's generation yeah. after generation yeah. they adapt to something new I mean back it wasn't even that long ago where you could have a gunfight on the street and it was like well who was who, who who drew first you oh. know what I mean and then <laughs> right. then at some point people are like maybe that's not how we should police yeah. that's where <laughs> let's take this
0: outside comes from right
2: <laughs> yeah yeah maybe, maybe we don't have a straight-up duel
1: in the yeah. in the center <laughs> right. of town you know so I don't know I, I kind f- of want to go back to that but oh so oh, yeah. Gonna, yeah I think yeah let's as
0: barbaric
2: <laughs> as possible. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> no, just kidding. But well this is this is really fascinating and uh I'm thrilled to learn a little bit more about this and I want to know more and uh let's connect offline and see how we can collaborate further when we get our butts back to Saratoga Springs.
0: Yeah, great. I love it. Thank you so much, you guys. This was great. And to all of your listeners, thank you so much. And just support this topic wherever you can. Support the law enforcement trying trying new stuff.
2: Thank you. Fantastic. And we're now honorary criminalists, right?
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Perfect. Great. (laughs)